Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. I'm very excited about our topic today. We are going to be talking about a brand new book called Life Without Plastic, the practical step-by-step guide to avoiding plastic to keep your family and the planet healthy. And we're joined today by the authors of this book, Chantal Poimondon and Jay Sinha. And we are just thrilled, both of you, to have you on Go Green Radio. And congratulations on your new book. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jill. (laughs) Well, I'd like to begin uh, by having you share the story of your family's journey into plastic-free living. I always think it's interesting to to understand what brings people to these various environmental issues. So, uh, go ahead and share that story with us. Yes, um, I'm happy to to do that. That's uh, first introduction to uh, to our business. So we started. Um, wow, it's been uh, our son is now 15 years old. So we started to be aware of the plastic issue about at the time when he was born, because you know, as a new mother, I was reading a lot of magazine articles and books about, you know, how to be the best parent possible. And uh, I was reading this magazine called um, Mothering at the time. And in that magazine, at almost every issue, there started to be articles about the dangers of plastics on newborn babies. And so that was in like 2003, 2004. So there was awareness about the dangers of plastics on human health that was starting to, um, you know, there was awareness that was starting to spread through a news article, maybe more alternative magazines and um, uh, news outlets, but it was starting to be quite alarming. And um, so I, um, I, I became aware of that. And I was very worried about exposing my newborn son to, to plastics. And I would look around me and only see plastic baby bottle, plastic toys, plastic um, uh, food containers and so I started doing some research and I was able to find some uh, glass baby bottles some stainless steel water bottles but there were very few and they were hard to find we had to I had to kind of go to specialized stores and and so I realized that I was not the only one starting to get worried. And uh, so uh, in some cases, I had to buy large quantities of certain items because I was importing them from far away just in order mm-hmm. to make them available to my son. And so that's how I started. We, we started buying large quantities and then making them available on this like very basic website that we called lifewithoutplastic.com. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we just had a few products to begin with. But we slowly found out that more people were interested in uh, in this issue than we thought, and so so that's how we began. I love it, and you know it's funny. I talked to so many people who have become quite the leaders in their 
you know, chosen issue, environmental issue. And mm-hmm. so many of them begin from a place of concerned parenthood. And so I think that's so interesting. Um, yeah. Jay, you know, before we dive into some of the details of your book, I'd like to give you a chance to talk to our listeners about the four fundamental elements of the overall solution that you mentioned. Sure. And you outline these in chapter one. The first one is to stop plastic pollution at the source by avoiding plastic and using alternatives. Share some thoughts on this concept, if you would, please. Sure, Jill. Yeah, well, there's currently so much plastic actually being produced and and polluting the world at the moment that there's literally too much to think that we can clean it all up anytime soon, that is, and or that we can recycle it all. Recycling is really not the solution. It is one part of it, but it is not the overall solution. The thing is, the plastics industry is actually ramping up production of plastics, injecting billions of dollars, literally, into new plastic plants in the U.S. And this is because there's demand for plastics. It's also because the price of um, natural shale gas, uh, shale gas um, natural gas, which is used to make plastics, has gone down dramatically in recent years. But the thing is, plastic is, um, is being eaten up by consumers. So that's why plastic producers are still making it. So the key is really to reduce that demand. And that's what we mean by reducing plastic at the source, to reduce the flow of plastics into our lives. Um, The benefits are are obvious as well. If we use less plastic, then our our health is less at risk and there's lots of, there's, there's less plastic pollution. So we really think that preventing and avoiding plastic, the amount of plastic that we use, it should become something that's really engraved in our sort of collective global societal psyche, just a, a way of being, a way of living. Mm-hmm. And then the second uh, fundamental element of the solution that you mentioned um, is change our perception of existing plastic as waste to be disposed of and see it as valuable. Help us understand how we can make that shift. Um, yeah, maybe I can jump in here. Um mm-hmm. What we mean by that is that the biggest problem is actually disposable plastics because some plastics are very valuable and they meet uh, some some very important industry demand, especially I'm thinking the construction industry really needs some plastics as um, vapor barrier. They have like very unique properties that are quite important. But the problem is when we start using this valuable resource as a disposable item. So, you know, they're cheap and people don't give them value, so they just throw them away. And that's, I think, part of the solution. We have to see plastics as more than something that can be just easily disposed of, that we should Mm -hmm. reserve that valuable resource for things that really merit their special characteristics and properties. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And then you yeah. all bring up a, a third fundamental element of the solution, and that is move toward a circular economy where plastics never become waste. And some of our listeners know what a circular economy is, but not all of them do. So if you would, yeah. help us understand that concept, particularly as it pertains to plastic. Sure, I can talk about that one. Um, it's a fascinating concept, one I, I just love to talk about. The, the basic idea is that you have an economy where there is really no waste. It's, it's a way of achieving an environmentally and economically sustainable growth by, by maintaining the value of 
products, materials, and resources in the economy for as long as possible. So you have like the traditional linear economic model, which has been used since the Industrial Revolution, and that's based on a, a take, make, consume, and then throw away pattern. Now, in a circular economy, the products and the materials that they contain are, are highly valued. Um, so in practice, the circular economy model that aims to reduce the waste to a minimum and to promote reusing, repairing, refurbishing, and recycling of, of existing materials and products so that what, what used to be considered waste in that, that linear model, it can actually be turned into a valuable resource to ideally eventually have zero waste going through the economic system. That's, that's the basic idea. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that's so interesting about the circular economy is that it requires, if, in order for it to succeed, a lot of collaboration between disparate uh, companies and industries Absolutely. who can who can talk together, collaborate together and say, your byproduct could be my raw product. So, exactly. you yeah. know, it's and this it is happening. Really, no, sorry, Joe. Yeah, no, it is happening. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about how it's happening, because for our listeners who are unaware of what's already going on, that may sound like a pie in the sky idea. But in fact, it is happening. Share a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. No, it's happening at, at really at all levels, including the highest levels where large corporations are becoming part of this this whole circular economy initiative there. It, it's happening for example, there's a foundation in the UK called the Alan MacArthur Foundation, which has really spearheaded a whole new plastics economy project, which is bringing together the largest corporations um, that produce, uh, for example, consumer products, think corporations like Unilever, Procter & Gamble, and really look, taking a close, hard look at, for example, the packaging in their products, because plastic packaging is really at the core, what Chantal touched on earlier, those single-use disposable plastics, so much of that is packaging. So if we can begin by reducing the plastic packaging waste, that's a huge step forward. And these companies are beginning to look at ways to completely phase out plastic packaging. You know, ways of increasing recycling, using bioplastics, that's a whole discussion on its own there. <laughs> but um, re- like really looking at the, um, the plastic packaging as something that is not acceptable or if it is go- ha- does have to be used, seeing it as a valuable resource that will be recuperated and reused in another way, or at least recycled. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, the fourth element I want to touch on uh, that you outline in Chapter 1 um, is embrace individual action and local community-based initiatives. And, you know, sometimes we can all feel so small and powerless um, when we're talking about these big global systems. But how can we change our mindset to feel like we, we can make a difference in the way the world uses plastic? Yes, it's true that sometimes we feel so small and powerless. But um, I would say, Jill, that something that at least makes me feel really empowered is when I do something in front of other people or in front of my friends that is quite revolutionary from their perspective, Mm -hmm. but they take notice. Like, for instance, I'm in the lineup at uh, my local coffee shop, um, and I bring my own cup. So I ask, can I please have a refill with my own cup? And maybe the first time the 
the the barista will look at you and say, well, uh, I'm not sure we're accepting your own cups or, mm-hmm. you know, like the first time it's like you feel like you're making them uncomfortable. But if you just, you know, keep uh, asking for it and and then eventually they say, okay, yes, sure. And then people see you. And they, they're, they're, they're realizing, wow, it's possible. It's possible to bring your own cup. And not only that, a lot of coffee shops will actually give you a rebate, like 10 cents rebate mm-hmm. for bringing your mm-hmm. own cup. A lot of people don't know that. So when you're the, the one that leads by example, or you're with your friends at a bar and you say, I please bring my drink without a straw. And then mm-hmm. your friends are like, oh, wow, we can actually do that? They don't realize, they, you know, they don't think about that. Mm-hmm. But when you start leading by example and, and making these small little steps, and then the next time around it's your other friend that starts refusing the straw or bringing their own coffee cup at the, at, at the coffee shop. So, right. so I think right. this is very, very mm-hmm. powerful. I agree. And we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have so much more to cover. And I'm so excited. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And in case you've just joined us, let me catch you up. Today we're talking about a brand new book called Life Without Plastic, the practical step-by-step guide to avoiding plastic to keep your family and the planet healthy. And you can get a copy of this book. I highly recommend it. If you visit the website www.lifewithoutplastic.com. And today we're talking with the authors, Jay Sinha and Chantal Pomondon, and they are talking to us about some of the alternatives and practical steps that we can take to live a plastic-free or nearly plastic-free life, but doing it in sensible steps so that you know we can make it a sustainable lifestyle. Now, I'm really excited to dive into the book, and the purpose of the book is based on a mission to, quote-unquote, battle plastic toxicity. And I'd love for you guys to talk to us about some of the common types of plastic and what makes them toxic. Sure, Jill, I can start on that. Um, So there are various plastics out there that are very common in everyday life, and there are concerns about them. Um, One that I imagine a number of your listeners have probably heard about um, is a plastic called polycarbonate, which is made out of primarily a a plastic chemical called bisphenol A or BPA. And so that this BPA is very common in plastics that are used to make um, certain types of bottles, plastic bottles, as well as in the, the epoxy lining of most metal food cans. Um, it's also, interestingly, on the ink of cash register receipts. And the problem with BPA, um, as well as some other chemicals I'll mention, is that um, it, it's an or- endocrine disruptor, a hormone disruptor. It mimics the hormone estrogen in the human body, and it's been linked to various harmful health effects that range from reproductive and development um, adverse effects, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, and several cancers as well. So it's it's one that um, we think is worth avoiding. And another type of plastic which um, has chemicals, another whole set of chemicals, is a plastic called polyvinyl chloride. And PVC is used, it's, it's considered... <laughs> Like interestingly enough, it's still considered one of the most harmful um, consumer plastics on the market today, and it contains a, a class of chemicals known as phthalates, which are also endocrine disruptors. And phthalates um, are basically softeners that are added to plastic to give it certain qualities, and in particular to make it more flexible and malleable. Um, and that's the case exactly with, for example, polyvinyl chloride or PVC. And it's used even still to make toys now, strangely enough. We, and it's used for, for cling wrap, it's used for squeeze bottles, shampoo bottles, mouthwash, things like that, shower curtains. It's a very common one. Um, another one I'd mention is poly, polystyrene, which is used for what everyone knows as styrofoam. So that's used very much in food applications where you have very often food that is hot or oily being packaged and served in styrofoam containers. And styrofoam, the polystyrene, an important thing to note is that it's, it's a pretty unstable plastic. It's not very strong. So it breaks down quite easily. And in that sense, um, when you have hot and oily food, you're going to get a, a chemicals leaching out of it. And those chemicals are um, include one known as styrene, which um, actually is a cancer-causing agent. It's a um, <clears throat> it's a link to various neuro, neuro neurological disorder or neurodevelopmental disorders. So that as well, we think, is one definitely worth avoiding. Wow, and you know, it's funny. I'm just thinking about 
you know, all the people that are having coffee in styrofoam cups. And it, <laughs> that's just incredible, the, the health risk that I'm sure most of them have no idea, you know, is being posed to their bodies. Yeah, you have to keep in mind there are minuscule amounts, so it's the, these things are not going to happen immediately, but they're long-term risks that are, are mm-hmm. being shown by the research. Absolutely. Now, in Chapter 3, you include some remarkable, almost stunning data on how ubiquitous plastic has become in our land, our air, our water. I'd love for you to share some of those facts with our listeners. Yeah, I can do that for you, Jill. Um it's like the numbers are astonishing, and sometimes we need a real-life example just to grab the immensity of the numbers. Like, for instance, there's about 350 million tons of plastics that are produced every year in the world. So it's like, it seems like a crazy number, but that's... Uh, that's about nine hundred. The, the size of about nine hundred Empire State buildings filled with plastics that are produced every year, and of that number, about ten percent of it is produced in the USA alone. So that's like your ninety Empire State buildings. Wow. That's a lot of plastics. It um, is. That corresponds to about a hundred and eighty-five pounds per person. Um, that's what we consume every year um, as uh, as consumers. Um, so <laughs> imagine there's there's one guy, Rob Greenfield, uh, a resident of New York, who took the challenge of carrying on him for one month all the plastics that he was generating. All the plastics, actually, not him, but the the typical American was generating every month, mm-hmm. and. At the end of the month, he was covered with, <laughs> like he used uh, transparent plastic bags and he filled them with all the trash that he was generating. And like wow. he couldn't sit anymore. <laughs> like he was like walking really in the streets visible. of New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah was, that's incredible. And, and it's, and it's that's ending up in the air and water too. And that, you know, I, I knew that it was ending up in the water, but you guys mm-hmm. also talked about the, the way that it ends up in our air. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes, um, about about the air, like the way they end up in our air is through um, often using like synthetic fabrics, like like your curtains, for instance, you know, through the, the, the UV rays that shine through your windows, um, your your curtains will progressively disintegrate and like tiny, tiny, tiny particles of plastic will end up in the air that you breathe every day. Um, so that's in your home environment but but also mm-hmm. outside um there's 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 like plastic tiny particles that are found even in the outside environment they mm-hmm. um they're everywhere and and you were another talking about the like, sorry another one is like the fleeces and clothing little particles coming out mm-hmm. all over that's, the place that's right. going into washing yeah, water mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's, that's right okay mm-hmm. That's how they end up in the ocean through through washing cycles, um, and um, there's a, they talk about 28 million tons of plastic that end up in the environment and in our oceans every year. Um, that cause the death of about a hundred thousand marine animals every year. So just from like ingesting the big piece of plastic, but we find these tiny particles we're talking about in in our tap water. So it's, it's really become ubiquitous, like you were saying. Yeah. 
Well, and that's something that I think, you know, might be surprising, I think, to a lot of our listeners. It kind of surprised me because, you know, we all have the visual of plastic litter, you know, things that don't end up in landfills or uh, wash into our waterways. You know, we've seen, everybody's seen a picture of plastic waste floating in rivers and in the ocean. But what I think is really surprising, and it makes perfect sense now that you say it, is that it would end up in our wastewater uh, after doing laundry, you know, with with fabrics that include plastics, but that was something I really hadn't considered before reading the book. And and the other thing that I was astounded by was just understanding the magnitude of the impact on marine animals. I really didn't understand just how bad it was. So could you expound on that a little bit and help us understand just how big of a problem that is? Sure, Jill. I can talk a bit about that. I mean, it, it's really stunning what's what's happening in the oceans, and it's you, you as you said, you know, you you see these seas of plastic that you can actually see, but the core of the problem, and this has been shown by researchers who are doing plastic pollution testing all over the world and in our waterways, is that it's really more of a plastic smog. It's there. There's like a layer of plastic, not just in the oceans, all all over the world, but in the oceans, it's very, very um, prevalent. And what's happening is that you get these bigger pieces of plastic that are breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces quite quickly due to like degradation from light and weathering and salt water and friction. And as they break down smaller and smaller pieces, they and especially if they're colorful plastics, they resemble food. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes, and they're, they're then eaten by fish, seabirds, you know, dolphins, tuna, whales, smaller and smaller pieces. And, and so the smaller fish are then eaten by larger fish, and the plastics and the chemicals in them, because you have to understand that these plastics, when they are in the water, they also both adsorb and absorb. Adsorb means they're on the surface, they're actually attracting other chemicals that are in the water, things like maybe mm-hmm. pesticides or um, insecticides or um, uh, heavy metals, and those get concentrated up the food chain. They're also being absorbed into cracks into the plastic. And so as they're eaten, these plastics, tiny, tiny little pieces by, by fish and birds, they go up the food chain and they get more and more concentrated, the chemicals, because they go into the fat tissue of these different organisms. And then down at the very base of the food chain are tiny microorganisms called plankton. And so these effectively, um, they feed everything that's larger than them. And the plankton keep us alive, not only because they're food for larger wildlife, but because a particular type of plankton um, called phytoplankton, are, they produce oxygen. And they convert, um, through, through photosynthesis, they convert carbon into sugar energy and, and this oxygen. And being at the base of the food chain, um, if... And, and producing so much oxygen for the world, if the plankton go because they're eating so much plastic and research is showing that they are actually, in cases, preferentially choosing plastic microparticles over their normal food, if they go, that means a large part of the, the oxygen in our atmosphere, estimated to be about 50%, will, will be gone because that's what's produced by plankton. So it's a serious issue throughout the that's food chain. That's shocking. It is. <laughs> well, and it really underscores the point that we are all interrelated and, and that if for no other reason, even if, you know, we have listeners who are, are not 
so much into wildlife protection, if they're even just into these issues because of the human health ramifications that we all stand to gain by protecting you know, these various elements of either our food chain or uh, the ecosystems that help us breathe, really basic things <laughs> like the oxygen mm-hmm. that's produced. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to shift our focus from the problem of plastics to the solution. And so don't go away, folks. You're going to learn so much. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us. Um, We are talking today about a brand new book called Life Without Plastic that you can get a copy of, and I highly recommend it because it is such a practical guide. I've never seen anything like this, so comprehensive. Just go to lifewithoutplastic.com, and that is where you will find the book and so much more. And we're going to talk about the so much more in a little bit. But the founders of Life Without Plastic, Jay and Chantal, are on with us today. And we're talking now, we've, we've been framing the issue the last couple of segments and talking about the problem that plastics pose to our lives, our health, and our planet. Now we're going to talk about what we can do about it. And I want to start with, you know, something that we've all seen a lot of, little stickers on uh, plastic beverage containers and, and different things, uh, products that say BPA-free, and I'm suspicious that that may not be a necessarily safe alternative. Talk to us about BPA-free. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, BPA, when, when I talked to you earlier about um, the reasons that prompted us into uh, starting this business, I was telling you about our son and um, the fact that we didn't want him to be exposed to those dangerous plastics. And the awareness about the dangers of plastics really started with BPA because a lot of baby bottles were made of BPA. And um, the Canadian government in 2009 um, banned 
BPA from the lining of the cans of baby products and uh, of baby products in general, like the the, the baby bottles. Like um, so, so they were really focusing on babies. So what happened is you started seeing a lot of products that said. BPA free, no BPAs, and and so so companies created these things like BPS or BP mm-hmm. um, bisphenol AF, bisphenol B, uh, bisphenol C. Bisphenol. So they started kind of creating, basically using the same structure, the same chemical structure, but changing it just a little bit so it was not BPA anymore. It was something else, but that didn't change the fact that it was probably just as bad as the BPA uh, that originally caused the problem because it was the same chemical structure. And what we're seeing right now is more and more research showing that exactly, like those replacements for BPA are just as bad as BPA itself. So we have to be extremely careful about not just believing the fact that it's BPA-free, therefore it's safe, because... The the thing is with these new alternatives, they just haven't been, have not been tested enough so that government can start banning them. But it doesn't mean they're safe. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I work with a lot of schools. I I have a nonprofit organization called the Go Green Initiative, and it's an environmental education mm-hmm. program that works with schools in all fifty U.S. states, but also in seventy three countries around the world. And if you ask any of the kids who've gone through our program, what do you do with plastic? They will typically say, recycle it. And that's right. that's a, not a bad answer. That's what we've been teaching them to do. But you guys introduce a new R word that I want to talk about. Um, you talk about refusing plastic and using alternatives. And we're going to get into some great tips about how to do that in just a second. But talk to us a little bit about recycling plastics. Maybe we need to know a little bit more about that. Talk to us about Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think recycling is is a bit of a myth. I think people feel good about their plastic consumption because they think it all gets recycled. But the sad reality is that of all the plastics that have been created since, you know, the 60s, since the invention of plastic, only 9% has in fact been recycled. 9%. That's that's very little. And although more is recycled now, it's still like below the 14% threshold. It's still very little. Some plastics are just not very recyclable. There's, It's important to know which ones are more recyclable so that when you're at the supermarket, maybe you can become aware of which plastics have more chances of becoming recycled. So you pick these types of, of packaging instead. So uh, generally, um, the plastic number one and two, so those are the, um, they, they are polyethylene and, and um, high-density polyethylene. Like you don't need to know their a chemical name, but often if you go, if you look behind the product, it's printed. There's like the three little arrows and there's a number in the middle. So you can, if you look for a number one, two, and five, those plastics tend to be more recycled. But there are other plastics like um, uh, the 
the PVC or polystyrene, the number seven, the number six plastic, um, the styrofoam, basically those don't really get recycled. So, so mm-hmm. it's good to know ahead of time which ones are more likely to be recycled. But the thing is, even if they are recycled, they're only downcycled. So mm-hmm. what it means is that uh, they, they can become another product once they're recycled, but they will eventually not be recyclable anymore and they will have to go to dan- to landfill. They kind of lose their properties and lose their quality as they get through uh, the cycle of recycling. So, so that's why recycling is not necessarily a solution because mm-hmm. ultimately the products will end up in a landfill. They end up so, as waste. Um, yep. It's mm-hmm. not like glass or aluminum that can be recycled infinitum. Plastic right, degrades. Exactly. Yeah. Now, in Chapter 2, you recommend some quick start solutions that our listeners can adopt pretty much right away to address some of the biggest sources of plastic pollution. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to give us two or three examples from your quick start guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll jump in again. Um, what, maybe what like there, there's a few items that are that represent a lot of the, the plastic waste that we produce, and sometimes just reducing these specific items can have a huge impact because they're the ones that we find the most in landfill or in the environment. So one of them is straws, and you were talking earlier about refusing. You know, that you are, and straw is something that's quite uh, easy to refuse. You just say, no straw in my drink, please, and up, you've just saved one straw, because straws are not really recyclable, so, so they can really have a big impact, especially because of the number of, of straws that are consumed every year. They say 185 billion straws are discarded every year. It's a, an astonishing number. So, so just refusing the straw, that's, that's a big step. Um, and Another kind of like low-hanging low fruit is the, like the plastic mug or water bottle. It's, it's so easy to just get yourself like a, a stainless steel bottle or a stainless steel mug and carry it with you. When you go for a coffee or when you need water, staying hydrated, it's, they're, they're now so ubiquitous and easy to find everywhere. But that's a mm-hmm. huge one. Just think of how many times you go to, say, a, a Starbucks or your local coffee shop and get a coffee and you're using a single-use disposable um, cup that's going straight into the trash right afterwards and quite likely not being recycled as well. So having your own mug, that's going to reduce an enormous amount of waste as well. Mm-hmm. And I also love the one, of course, you can't deny the reusable grocery bags. You know, I mean, that's one of the, the mm-hmm. best ones um, and one of the ones that I'm seeing more and more people getting on board with. And uh, I love that one. And the quick start guide goes goes on to, to give some more. And that's why, listeners, you're going to have to get the book to see them all. But they are really easy and really doable. You can absolutely get started um, like today um, on those on that quick start guide. The next step that you all recommend is to look around our homes and conduct a plastic audit. And I'd love to give you some tips, give us some tips on how to do that. Sure. Well, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It maybe sounds kind of formal and official when you call it an audit. We, we call it like <laughs> a personal plastic audit, but it's super easy and it's really revealing. If you, if you, if you, Look around your life. Just go in, in your home, in your house, or your apartment. Just take a look around and begin to notice the plastics around you. It's really quite astonishing. So what we suggest doing is you do just that. Like you start 
um, going from room to room and kind of do it kind of methodically with a, a pad. And in, in the book, we provide a, an example of a table you could use. Um, but it, it could be very simple, just having a pad with you or your, your phone and um, take some little notes and just notice the plastics around you. And then try and think of um, alternatives, like if there are possibilities for what you see that could be replaced with a non-plastic item. Um, For example, if you're in the kitchen and you see um, you have a whole bunch of Tupperware containers that are used to store bulk foods, you could um, think about using glass mason jars. I mean, we absolutely love the mason jar. It is one of the most amazing inventions ever, and it's so versatile, and it is essentially free. All you have to do is purchase some spaghetti sauce, and there you have a mason jar. Um, I mean, free in that you can use it over and over. You don't need to buy it just for the jar. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one that is a great one for storing bulk foods. And there's an aesthetic aspect, too, because you open your pantry and see a a huge row of um, beautiful mason jars, and you can actually see the contents in them. It's it's really quite stunning. You see these zero-waste bloggers out there with um, fabulous photos of of using non-plastic options like that. So in doing the audit, that's one, what it is essentially, looking around and just being aware of the plastic around you and then Mm -hmm. looking for solutions, ways to replace it, but not necessarily just replacing the plastics because if there's something that's plastic, um, but it is serving a purpose and it's not affecting your health, and we we really don't suggest getting rid of it right away and creating more waste or uh, if it's serving a good purpose, continue to use it. Exactly. And your book gives so many practical tips on alternatives to plastics. I mean, we really couldn't possibly cover even a fraction of them in this episode, but um, give our listeners three to four ideas about how to find substitutes for some of the plastics that they're going to find in their home. I mean, I, I think there are probably better ways than having to Google every single item. Give us some tips. Yeah, yeah, and um, maybe what I can do is maybe address some some less obvious items that uh, sure. uh, can, people can can replace. Yeah, like in their toothbrushes. Home. That was the one that blew yeah. my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. And where in the world do I find an alternative? So please do that, Chantal. Exactly. Yeah, toothbrushes was actually the first item on my list. Um, yeah, the the. I mean, we need to replace them every two, three months, so, so they generate a lot of waste. But there exists, um, there's a company in Germany that makes these wooden toothbrushes with four bristles, and they're completely compostable. So at the end of your toothbrush life, you can use it as a fire starter, or you can compost it in your home composter. Um, they're like, they go back to earth completely. So those are fabulous. Um, Another one that people might not think of is the the toilet brush. Um, oh. You know, like they become gross over time. Yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> and and it's often one. they're ugly. You know, the the, the plastic mm-hmm. toilet brush that you leave on the side of your toilet, and like there's like slimy stuff that builds up over time. But there exist these beautiful wooden toilet brushes with like a beautiful stand and a little ceramic cup at the 
at the bottom to mm-hmm. to contain the the dripping. <laughs> from they're the gorgeous. <laughs> they're, they're really really beautiful, and they're all made of uh, natural uh, wood and um, again uh, natural um, bristles. Incredible. And I yeah. know that we can find a lot of these on your website at lifewithoutplastic.com, which we'll talk about a little bit more in the next segment. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go away, folks. There's so much more. Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Our topic today is life without plastic. And in fact, you can go to lifewithoutplastic.com and see the book that we're talking about. The founders, Jay and Chantal, are there, their story, and so much great information. Um, You know, one of the things that you guys touch on in the book, Life Without Plastic, is the issue of plastic microbeads in personal care products. And for some of our listeners, this may be a new issue to them. So if you could spend just a moment talking about where plastic microbeads are found and the problem they pose to both humans and the environment, that would be great. Sure, Jill. I can I can touch on that, and it's it's a it's a very sad story, but it's it's changing. Um, so, what these microbeads are? They're basically tiny, tiny plastic particles that are made out of plastics called polyethylene or polypropylene, usually, and. They're used as where exfoliants, abrasive exfoliants in different types of personal care products, things like facial scrubs and soaps, body wash, even toothpaste. It's hard to believe, even toothpaste. Some have even 1% to 5% of percentage of, of microbeads in them. 
Um, and if you want to see some, see them for yourself, if you suspect a product might have them, you can squeeze some of a microbead-containing product into a glass of water and then pour that water through a black T-shirt. And the little white particles will likely be plastic microbeads. Oh. And so... Basically, what's happening is these microbeads, because they're in personal care products that are like like a, a facial facial scrub. When you wash that off, the, you put the scrub on your face and scrub it around, and then you wash it off. It goes right down the sink, and the beads are so so tiny that they're not caught by municipal wastewater systems. So they go through them and they go right out into waterways, rivers, lakes, oceans, and then it comes back to that same product that we that problem that uh, we touched on earlier, where they then are eaten by um, wildlife in in the waterways and go up the food chain and contribute to toxicity and general plastic pollution and to that huge plastic smog that's occurring Mm -hmm. throughout throughout the waterways. So that's that's basically what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But the irony is that there are alternatives. Um, Well, and that's what I love about your work so much, both of you, Jay and Chantal, is that you're not just telling us about the problem and then leaving us without a solution. You you have solutions. You have them on your website. You have them um, in your products. Um, Talk to us about some of the solutions that we will find. If we go to www.lifewithoutplastic.com, talk to us about what we'll find. And, And I'd love to know a little bit, too, about the process that you follow to make sure that what you're offering is responsibly sourced and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a range of products. Um, we've sort of broken down into large categories like eating and drinking and then home and living. And as Chantal had mentioned earlier, we, we've tried to focus on things that are hard to find in a plastic plastic form, a non-plastic form, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. And it's expanded from there to sort of cover plastics you can find in everyday everyday life and how to replace find replacements for them. So things like definitely food containers, um, uh, food bags. We have all kinds of bags for um, different kinds of things like for, for produce, for carrying your shopping. Um, we have some interesting, they're called um, food wraps, like to replace uh, saran wrap or uh, plastic wraps, and these are made out of cotton and then covered with uh, with beeswax, and they work beautifully mm. for for covering food in that way, and even for wrapping things like cheese. In um, we in our for example our bath and body section, we have shaving products that are non plastic. We have non plastic toothbrushes. Um, there are feminine hygiene products, mm-hmm. uh, sponges that can be used that are non plastic. Um, then as well for um, children, there, there are various dishes that are specific for children, smaller things, baby bottles, um, stainless steel or glass, uh, really quite a range. And in terms of the sourcing of them, we try to find suppliers. Well, we, we have a process we go through to find suppliers that we, we trust and that have pay attention to both environmental and, and labor standards and that we have built relationships over years with to make sure that we, we do trust the products and where they're coming from. Um, because if you're buying, for example, stainless steel in a dollar store, for one, it's probably going to be a lower quality stainless steel, but for two, you have no idea where it's coming from. Um, it's largely probably coming from China, but you have no idea of the quality. And a lot of stainless steel is made with recycled stainless steel, which can, can contain impurities in it. So it's it, it really, we think, 
it makes sense to have an idea of where the raw material that's being used in the products we make is coming from. And that's why we, we have tried to build these relationships over years to work with suppliers that we trust. Absolutely. And I think that that is terrific. That's sustainable business at its best. You know, chapter five of your book um, addresses one of the biggest challenges that I think I personally would have and our listeners will face if they try to work toward a plastic-free life. And that's being plastic-free when you're on the go. And I'd love for you to give us two to three tips for making this plastic-free lifestyle work when you're at the office or at school or traveling. Yeah, um, you're right. This is challenging, especially when you're at the office because you don't necessarily control your environment. You know, your your employer provides your desk and it's probably made of with a plastic coating and you're surrounded by plastic, a plastic chair, plastic carpet. And uh, But sometimes if you're able to maybe change your curtain, make it like a natural cotton curtain or, or, or bring some plants in your office that might help to detoxify the air that you're breathing. So in our book, we, we give suggestions of five different plants that will actually clean your air as you work. Um, in terms of school, um, bringing a non-plastic lunch bag might be a good idea with non-plastic food containers uh, like Jay was, was talking about earlier. There are some glass ones, but also some stainless steel ones that are airtight and that you can, um, you can put some liquidy food in them. Um, so, so that's for school. And then in terms of traveling, I would say the biggest tip is to try to go with dry things. Um, because every time you have a liquid, that's when you often will opt for a plastic little containers. So try to avoid getting those small samples that you buy at the pharmacy that are less than 100 milliliters um, for, for airport security and uh, try to resist the temptation to take those samples from the, your hotel room and try to maybe use a shampoo bar that's dry and uh, use, you know, like small glass containers or tins that, that can carry your products. Mm. Fantastic yeah. advice. And mm-hmm. I love chapter six of the book, and it's called Radiating the Plastic-Free Lifestyle. Give us a few ways that we can share our plastic-free goals and lifestyle with family, friends, and coworkers. Well, there's lots of ways. Um, we, we, we talk about, for example, if you're having... Um, friends over for dinner or maybe even a, a potluck of some sort, you, you can try and find ways to, when you're inviting people over, to create an opportunity for them to bring something that is not plastic. Um, for example, if they want to contribute something to the, the dinner and they ask, what can I bring? You could suggest something that you're pretty sure won't have plastic in it, such as, well, a bottle of wine is an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's also, you could ask them to, like, something homemade, uh, a fresh bread or um, a homemade salad. And if they do want to bring something that, that does come with plastic, for example, chips or nachos in a, in a plastic bag, you can at least make try and reuse that bag in some way. Um, but then there are lots of other things, too. There what we're seeing in certain, for example, coastal areas, there's all kinds of beach cleanups happening. And it's not just coastal areas. In, in big cities as well, you may have community cleanups. We have one in our community where every spring sure. uh, folks get together. There's a, and, um, it's a we good sort of time. Split up. Exactly. It's a blast, yeah, in fact. It and is. Like, and it really does bring some community to this. And then you don't have to feel so alone, like you're doing something that's alien 
alien. Uh, you, you have people that can join you, even if it's just for something simple, like a beach cleanup or replacing straws, you know, the little things that yep. we can all do that, uh, that, that bring a sense of community and healing to our, our planet. Thank you so much, Jay and Chantal, for your work, mm-hmm. for what you shared with us today. All of our listeners, please get out on www.lifewithoutplastic.com and learn more. Until then, just remember that we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until we meet again, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.